You're listening to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. Danny and Jason had many discussions and debates on the back porch while making pivotal investment moves with assets. That's right, with trading cards. They welcome you to the back porch and right into those discussions about current sports news with a fresh and unique twist. So come on and join us. Welcome to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason. Your co-host, Danny. And we got a fun-filled show for you today. Uh, first, we'll go into our Week 8 NFL reaction, NFL trade deadline reaction. Then we'll go into the NBA coaching carousel, Bucks trade updates. And finally, we have a very interesting and for the first time type of trading card scenario. But first, the week eight NFL reaction. Let me just start off with the Green Bay Packers. Their loss to the dreaded rival, division rival, Minnesota Vikings, where the Packers lost 28-22 to at Lambeau Field. Dalvin Cook, the running back for the Vikings, had 30 carries for 163 yards, three touchdowns. I also had a touchdown receiving. He had two receptions for 63 yards, and he just ran all over the Packers. Coming off an injury, he came and just beasted against the Packers. And so, again, I have to say this, the Green Bay Packers offense at times, it, it looked relatively okay. At the same token, though, I didn't know what in the world was going on. Green Bay Packers still have that issue with the wide receiving core. Uh, Devontae Adams had a just an okay game in his play for the season. I mean, he had seven catches for 53 yards, only 53 yards, but he had three touchdowns. And I'll just say this, no other Green Bay wide receiver had more than one catch. So when you think about Malik Taylor, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, Mr. St. Brown, Darius Shepard, these had one reception combining for 63 total yards. Again, <laughs> four, one, make sure one, two, three, four receivers where their job is to catch the ball, to get open and catch the ball. No drops, but to catch the ball. Four receivers totaling 63 yards. The Packers have a problem, and everybody knows it especially on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, there's a problem there too. Dalvin Cook ran all over the Green Bay Packers, and this has been a consistent theme throughout the season where these opposing running backs have a pretty decent games against the Packers. The linebacking backer core is suspect. So my NFL reaction starts with the Packers, but then I have to also go to, again, Claypool who is the <laughs> receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who also had a phenomenal game. And, and then DK Metcalf is having a phenomenal season. Those were receivers that the Packers had an opportunity to get not only this year, but in last year's draft. And again, bypassed uh, these two great receivers. It's really showing right now, uh, especially on the Packers side of the offensive ball. So, those are my NFL reactions. How about you, Danny? I'm going to come back to your Packers in a minute. But first, I have to acknowledge 
my Atlanta Falcons, victory number two, prime time on Thursday night against the Carolina Panthers in hurricane conditions. Not quite, but it was raining hard. So they got the second win. I got a little nervous. Fourth quarter, we were up. I'm like, oh, here we go again. Teddy Bridgewater had the ball, but lo and behold, we made a defensive play and made an interception. Game over. This year is particularly hard knowing where they're at and where they could be every time they win a game now. So they've won two, but you're like, oh, they should have five now. Congratulations to the Falcons. Rise up, as always. Something that happened this weekend, though, to the Chargers. So the Chargers played the Broncos, were up 17, and lo and behold, they blew the fourth quarter lead, lost at the buzzer to the Denver Broncos. And I had to take a look back at, you know, the Chargers and how they've been doing. And looking at it, it's eerily similar to the Atlanta Falcons. So for all the Charger fans out there coming from an Atlanta Falcons fan, I feel your pain. I'm worried about Anthony Lynn. I know they're starting Herbert, a rookie, but you don't know if it's it's kind of the same scenario. If it's they just need to clean house just to get that mindset out of the locker room of we can't close a game. I'm hoping for Anthony Lynn's sake they can turn it around uh, because I thought they would be similar to Atlanta Falcons in the same spot, in that second spot in their uh, division. So tough loss for the Chargers, but we'll see what they do this week against the Las Vegas Raiders. So back to you, though. One question. There's a gentleman on the Philadelphia Eagles. His name is Travis Fulgham. He is balling right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much the number one receiver with Philadelphia at this moment in time, even though they're starting to get healthy and get, they got Rager back last week. And I thought his name was familiar as he's been going throughout the season. So I decided to do a little research and found that your Green Bay Packers actually had him in camp for a cup of tea and cut him. And it's very ironic because all the concerns you have on the, in the receiving core wouldn't he look nice in your Green Bay Packer uniform right now? Listen, man, I think anything would look good right now in the Packers <laughs> uniform, especially for that wide receiving core. <laughs> I'm showing here, though, he, he has a 4 5 8 40. But sometimes it's just not all about speed. Sometimes it's about route running. Uh, mm-hmm. And apparently he's having a breakout season. So anything, I, again, I think right now is better than what we have, considering what I, what I you know, just mentioned about the four wide receivers only getting uh, about 63 yards total. We have Travis Fulgham this, this season having 435 yards and four touchdowns. 6'2", 215, apparently can ball. So I just think that a lost another lost opportunity there by the Packers. I don't know what they're looking at uh, when they're looking at receivers, uh, especially in on their own practice squad. We'll see what happens. And now to our reaction on the NFL trade deadline. And so uh, the Packers uh, basically didn't do nothing. All the complaints that I have had about, and not only myself, but a lot of people have had about the lack of a wide receiving core, a, a true number two next to Devontae Adams as Lazard is still recovering from injury. Will Fuller from the Houston Texans was some something or somebody that they were actually considering to trade. This is the same Will Fuller who has a 4 3 40 speed and is an unrestricted 
free free agent at the end of this season. Now, I know the concern from what I have read was about Will Fuller's contract, everything about NFL contracts uh, compared to NBA. I'm a little bit more knowledgeable what happens in the NBA than the NFL from a contract standpoint. But I think the concern from the Packers was they didn't want to pay that much money for a receiver who may, you know, obviously not return. Packers, what the hell, man? I mean, if you're trying to go for a championship and you are lacking a true number two receiver and your current receiving core keeps dropping balls, and here you have Will Fuller with a 4-3-3-40 speed who is evidently on a terrible Houston Texans team is actually balling. I mean, he has 490 yards, five touchdowns this season on a mediocre team. And just imagine him, who is six foot, 184 pounds. Imagine him with that speed, who, and he's averaging about 15 yards a catch yeah. on the Packers. I just don't understand. And I have to say this. I really want Aaron Rodgers to get another ring because Aaron Rodgers is, he's one of my favorite quarterbacks, primarily because of how he throws the ball. He he has an arm like, I mean, you rarely see an arm like this. Forget the attitude that he had. I'm just looking at the pure athleticism. He is not going to win another Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. Uh The same thing that we're talking about with the Bucs and Giannis and putting the right pieces around Giannis. And the year that the Bucks wasted mm-hmm. by not re-signing Malcolm Brogdon, and now the, the executives and owner ownership or what have you are saying to Giannis, "Listen, we're willing to go into the luxury tax right now to put the right team around you." Man, you had that opportunity last year. That's a whole yeah. year wasted. I really believe there's something. I don't know what in the hell is going on in Wisconsin. Wisconsin is my home state. And then now you have the Green Bay Packers basically really doing the same thing here in terms of not really going for it. I remember when, and you remember this, Danny, you remember when Reggie White came to the Green Bay Packers free agent, and that was really the first time a major free agent came to Green Bay and turned the franchise around and ultimately won uh, a Super Bowl, went to two Super Bowls. I just believe that we are missing a golden opportunity to really provide the right team surrounding Aaron Rodgers, not only on the offensive side, but also on the defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. With that, I will say this, Aaron Rodgers, please leave Green Bay. Please leave Green Bay so you can go ahead and get your championship because you are not going to get it with the Green Bay Packers organization. And I'm saying that as a Green Bay Packer fan, but I'm calling it like I'm seeing it. The Packers are not willing to do what they need to do to get the chip. So um, that's my reaction. How about yours, Danny? From my Falcon standpoint and just in general, there wasn't a lot of movement Mm -hmm. um, around the trade deadline. And I thought a lot of this would have happened last week just due to players have to pass the COVID protocol in five days before they can join the team. So You would have thought if something was going to pop off, it would have been last week versus this week. Uh, Falcons did not make any moves. There was a little barking going on by Tack McKinley yesterday, talking about him not getting traded, which he exposed that they could have got a number, a second round pick for him last year, he said. 
which is baffling to me. And I'm that's why I'm glad Dimitrov had to. I'm glad he's gone because I question some of the things he did from a general manager perspective that put this team behind. And they could have gathered picks along the way to help them out, but he dropped the ball. I figured we weren't going to do much. I know there were rumors around Julio and Matt Ryan, but the dead money would have just tore them up for this year and upcoming years. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to just stay pat from that perspective. I wish they would have traded Tack McKinley. If they knew he was uh, disgruntled and just got him out the locker room. So those are the type of moves that I, you would like to see as a, uh, as a fan where someone doesn't want to be there and you have an opportunity to trade them, trade them. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there was a lot of hubbub, but not a lot of action from the trading deadlines. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens when we get to the off season now and play the rest of the mm-hmm. string out. And that's all I have on the trading uh, deadline. And now to our thoughts on the NBA coaching carousel, specifically in the Eastern Conference. We have a lot of movement happening on the Eastern Conference. And so we have Doc Rivers going to the Philadelphia 76ers. We have the likes of even Daryl Morey leaving Houston to go to the Philadelphia 76ers as uh, president of basketball operations along with Doc Rivers. So a very interesting move there. Daryl Morey indicated to Houston, allegedly, that uh, he needed time off to be with his family, but yet goes to Philadelphia 76ers for uh, this particular job. And, you know, Danny, let me just say this. Let me stop here for a moment. Let me say this. So I find it very interesting that Daryl Morey not only mentioned that to uh, the Houston executive team, but going to Philadelphia amidst everything that's happened, especially in China. And for you fans who uh, don't know uh, what happened in China, uh, Daryl Morey actually tweeted uh, support for the Hong Kong protesters uh, right for democracy in China. And when he did that, uh, that was when uh, players and the NBA were actually playing basketball in China, mm-hmm. which caused such a mass hysteria. Uh, and one thing to keep in mind when you talk about the NBA, the NBA is a global sport. Yes. According to the article dated October 9th of 2019 in the USA Today at the time, and I'll just read a little bit of the, of the article here. Uh, in July, China's Tencent uh, reached a five-year, $1.5 billion deal to remain the league's exclusive digital partner in China. And it's the NBA's largest partnership outside of the U.S. So when you talk about the NBA being a global sport and you look at China and apparently NBA China, uh, which is a separate business arm of the NBA, was valued at $5 billion by Sports Business Journal. Um, when you look at this global sport and what Daryl Morey done, right or wrong, there was an impact there. And that impact uh, could, not, could not only mean issues with that partnership, but it still lost revenue for the NBA. And they were looking at at least $200 million being lost for the NBA 
based upon just that text again right or wrong however you look at it from the text perspective money can be lost mm-hmm. um, not only that but there was like a one-year tv ban uh, china eventually showed game five of this year's nba finals uh, which is according to wall street journal dated october 9th of this year and so i say all that to say for daryl Morey to not only be a, a gm executive down for the houston rockets the text, which caused some uproar and loss of revenue, but then say, I'm going to take time out for my family. I'm going to resign, but then turn around and get another job in a matter of a week or two. Less than a week. Right. And go to the Philadelphia 76ers. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I think that's there's something wrong with that picture. I don't, I, I don't get it. I get it, but I don't get it. So... I'll just say that about Daryl Morey. Steve Nash to the Nets with Mike D'Antoni as an assistant. Again, something is just off with that, especially with D'Antoni. Billy Donovan goes to the Chicago Bulls. Nate Bjorgren goes to the Pacers from the Raptors bench. So a whole lot of movement happening in the Eastern Conference, which seems to make the Eastern Conference a little bit more competitive. Yep. See you, Danny. And another name, Jason, that went under the radar was Tom Thibodeau. There you go. Yep. Went to the Knicks mm-hmm. and brought mm-hmm. in Mike Woodson. When mm-hmm. was the last time the Knicks made the playoffs? Mike Woodson made was the playoffs. Mm-hmm. When Carmelo was there. This goes back to the conversation we had during the bubble. When you're looking at the Milwaukee Bucks and the Eastern Conference, that opportunity and that door may have shut on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it's closing quick. Because these mm-hmm. teams, when you're looking at it from an executive coaching level, they're making moves to get better. Mm-hmm. And if you take the Nets, for example, I don't know how that's going to work with the coaching staff, but just the talent they're bringing in with KD and Kyrie instantly makes them better. Philadelphia, their their cap situation is kind of a mess. So I'm, I think they're banking on Doc just to turn it around with the talent he has because I don't think there's not a lot of movement they can make because Al Horford and Tobias Harris's contracts. Massive. I don't see anyone taking those on. Massive contracts. Yes. I'm talking like, I think Al Horford's owed 24 to 28 million per year the next three years. And Tobias Harris owed almost up to like 40 million and like four years out, somewhere in there, approximately. Indiana, I think it was a, good, it was a decent move, you know, bringing someone from Toronto because they they're a winning organization. So that makes sense. Billy Donovan, I think, is a sneaky one. Of all these moves, Billy Donovan going to the Bulls. The Bulls have had talent. They just didn't have a coach. And you saw what Billy Donovan just did with Oklahoma City. Granted, he had Chris Paul there. He had a leader. He had a veteran. Someone could whip those dudes into shape. So there may be a move or two during free agency they make to help with that situation. But I think the Billy Donovan one is the one of all these moves that's the, that uh, may impact the most. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't put it together. They have a lot of talent there. They just can't string some games together. I don't know what their deal is, but all in all, I think it's something just to keep on everyone's radar as we approach the 2021 season where some of these moves that may impact the Bucks and their um, chances next year, it just gets a little more competitive. It's going to get a lot more competitive to your point. Eastern Conference is going to be competitive as all get out. Let me ask you this, Danny. Mm-hmm. If I recall correctly, Coach Bud of, of the Bucks, his contract was a four-year contract. Yes. This is year number three. Mm-hmm. So 
if the Bucks don't make it to a certain point here, do you get rid of Bud? I think it depends how far they go. And leave one year contract, leave one year left on his contract. Yep. So if they were to somehow pull off the championship, he he gets the golden ticket and gets renewed. If they if they get bounced and say like the first round and they're in the luxury tax, that's a different story, I think. I think it just depends how far they go. I'm going to tell you what, man. Eastern Conference is going to be good. I'm really interested in seeing how this Nets thing really kind of work out. Yep. Because in the Eastern Conference, where we're so used to seeing more of a grind, grind them out type of game, if you will, as these Eastern Conference is known for over the years, over the decades. Mm-hmm. But now with the Nets and with Steve Nash and Dan Tony, you're going to get more. Now, if they just shoot threes like Houston did under Dan Tony, okay, it is what it is. I mean, I'm not, I think the bus can handle that. But this is going to be real interesting, especially Durant coming off of the injury. So we shall see. And now for, just as we're talking about the coaching carousel, the Bucks trading update. At this particular moment in time, there's just a whole lot of rumors flying around about the Milwaukee Bucks actually trading based upon them getting bounced second round of this year's playoffs against the Miami Heat. And now the question is, what is going to happen to the team? How many more pieces are you going to put around uh, Giannis to really advance in the playoffs and ultimately to the championship round? And there's just a whole lot of rumors out there. Uh, Obviously, Chris Paul or CP3 is out there. That rumor is out there. There's a new rumor, new but old rumor, uh, that has popped up yet again today, and that is the Sacramento Kings, Bogdan Bogdanovich and Harrison Barnes possibly coming to the Milwaukee Bucks. Again, this is all rumor. Seems like there's some interest there, uh, which is quite different than having no talks. So let me just say, I, I had to go back and look at some of the highlights of Bogdan Bogdanovich just to see how he would kind of fit with the Bucks. Yep. And based upon what I have seen, uh, look, I, I think this would be quite interesting. Bogdanovich, he's 6'6", 220, uh, considered a shooting guard. Last year, he averaged about 15 points a game, three and a half assists a game, and shooting uh, about 37% from the three, 44% uh, from the field. And and so as I looked at his highlights, I was like, oh, he, you know, he's, he's okay. Yeah. You know, he's all right. He doesn't have a fast twitch to him. He's not speedy. It seems like he can get to his spots. He does a whole lot of pick and roll action. So yes. when we, just as I've mentioned about in the past, mm-hmm. about Giannis eventually, you know, getting a, a, a mid-range jumper, maybe he can pick and pop, pick yep. and roll action. Well, if he doesn't do it, Bogdanovich seems like he can. That will open things up and possibly even open the playbook up a little bit more rather than just a four and out, five and out and shoot the threes and then keep, you know, keep it going. But I'll say with Harrison Barnes, that actually might be a good fit. He has championship pred- pedigree. For those who don't remember, he was on the first run with the Warriors. Last year, he averaged 14 and a half a game, five rebounds, two assists a game, shooting 38% from uh, the three-point line. 46% from field goals. So, and I, and honestly, I start thinking, I was like, well, who would we trade? And so as I looked at some of the salary here, I would have to say that Harrison Barnes would have to start. 
Harrison Barnes would have to start, and I think he would replace somebody like a Wesley Matthews outright trade Wesley or we bump him bump Wesley down to the bench. But just to kind of give you an idea here in terms of salary, Harrison Barnes' salary for next year is twenty two million, and then it goes to twenty million. 21 22 season and then 18 million for the 22 23 season so it goes down each season yep that's an attractive con- contract actually i'm actually kind of i'm, I'm kind of liking this pot- potential deal here more so for harrison barnes as opposed to bogdan bogdanovich quite honestly and this would have to be a sign and trade because he's a restricted free agent if they wanted to get harrison barnes in the mix too so that's where it gets interesting on what they would package for them, knowing the positions they play and would they just be, yeah, who would be a part of that? Because I'm assuming Bledsoe wouldn't be a part of it because they still need a point guard. They need a point guard. I'm curious who they would package in this type of deal versus like when we talked about CP3, Bledsoe is a part of that no matter what. See, that here's the thing, man. I'm almost, that's a good question. I think you, you had to pack us up Ursan Ilyasova. I want to say he, his contract's about $7 million yep. per. You package him and, I hate to say it, but DJ. That's going to be interesting because, so with Bogdan Bogdanovich being a restrictor free agent, yes, the sign and trade would be definitely a, a talk or a topic of conversation between the Sacramento Kings and the Milwaukee Bucks. Jason, one other item that was a rumor now. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we leave this topic, is Drew Holiday. Mm. And I texted you when I saw that he may be available. Would you go for Drew Holiday? I would go for Drew Holiday, but Drew Holiday makes a hell of a lot of money. But he makes $26 million. That's Bledsoe, Ursan, and DJ Wilson. That's would true. You do, would you do that deal for the buck? And are we, st- are we still getting Barnes and Bogdanovich? No. So we're just getting Drew Holiday. This is just Drew Holiday. And we would trade. We would give this scenario again, and we would Drew, trade. Drew, you trade Bledsoe, Urson, mm-hmm. and DJ Wilson from a comparative contract perspective. I would do that trade in a heartbeat. I like Drew Holiday's moxie. I like his, I like his game, man. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes at it, true grit. Uh, he doesn't fall off in the in the playoffs. Yep. Uh, he goes right at you. Same here. When I saw it for the Bucks, I thought I was like, man, if he's truly they're listening to offers, mm-hmm. you better throw an offer in there. For some reason, the Bucks are really enthralled with Bogdanovich. Yes. But if I can just get Harrison Barnes some way, somehow, along with Drew Holiday, if I could get those two players, that to me would be golden. I like Drew Holiday's game, man. I like his game, man. I like his game. He can play on the offensive end, he can get to the bucket. He can shoot. He's reliable. He's not a head case. Mm-hmm. He's a solid player, man. So I'm curious to see what happens here with him. If he stays put or if someone puts a package out there for him to take him away from New Orleans. We have an interesting card scenario. This is the first time for Backports Talk podcast that we'll go through something like this, and we're going to see how it goes. So who we got, Danny? So Jason, this time, there are no cards in particular, but we're comparing Pat Riley 
and Greg Popovich, which coach would you take based on their career credentials, accolades, the whole nine? So quick bios, Pat Riley coached 24 seasons. He coached the Los Angeles Lakers, New York Knicks, Miami Heat. He has a 636 winning percentage. So 1,200 wins, 1,210 wins, 694 losses. He had three seasons under 500. He had a 606 playoff percentage record where he was 171 and 111. Five championships, three coaches of the year. Greg Popovich, 24 seasons, all with San Antonio. And he was 1277 and 614, two seasons under 500, playoffs 170 and 114, five championships, three coaches of the year. Jason, which coach are you taking? Well, Danny, the fans know where I'm going here. Pat Riley played for the Kentucky basketball, coached by Adolph Rupp. And in 1966, Kentucky played Texas Western which is now known as UTEP or the University of Texas El Paso for the NCAA championship. Now, the historical significance is that Texas Western started all black players first time in history. And Texas Western, they were actually coached by Don Haskins. So five white players against five black players to start off. Pat Riley actually played in that game, played all 40 minutes, went Eight for 22 from the field, uh, eventually scored 19 points. I start with Pat Riley because as Pat Riley, you know, he went to the NBA, he played in the NBA, eventually became coach due to a firing coach, the Los Angeles Lakers. And that opened things up for what we know as Showtime. Yes. Showtime was like no other. Showtime was the glitz, the glamour, the magic, and yes, Magic Johnson. Showtime was like no other. Showtime really ushered in how we actually dealt with sports. When you when you think about it, the mm-hmm. cheerleaders, the yep. whole, the whole moxie, the whole the atmosphere. And to this day, when the Lakers come into town, what happens? It's usually either a sellout. Or it's just a, it's the pageantry of when the Lakers come into town. And I have to say that really started with Coach Pat Riley and Showtime. Mm-hmm. Pat Riley won how many championships? About five championships. Five. Right? Yes. He won five. Four with the Lakers during the Showtime era. Yep. Obviously went over to the Knicks, built them up. He changed his coaching philosophy because it was a little bit more defensive of a defensive presence. He probably learned a little something from his times against the Detroit Pistons. Took that, what he learned, put it into the Knicks. The Knicks went to the finals against the Houston Rockets, lost. Went down to Miami. Told Coach Stan Van Gundy, look, man, you ain't doing the job. Let me take over because we got this young player from Marquette University named Flash who is doing the thing. And I'm seeing all the puzzle pieces of a championship team already there. You just not putting them over the hump. So I'm going to have to take over. He -hmm. takes over and what happens? Wins the championship. And he developed a culture in Miami that is still there today. And he is the top executive uh, for the Miami Heat organization. I say that to say Coach Riley breathes basketball. He lives basketball. And it is just in his system. And he has taken many players to the promised land. Now, I'll say this about 
Popovich. Went to San Antonio, eventually got to San Antonio. I think he started as an assistant coach, became head coach, had a lot of players come in from an international perspective. A lot of a lot of international players that they drafted and came together to win championships. Had the same squad, primarily the same core players in that of Tim Duncan, uh, Tony Parker. Manu. Ginobili. Yep, thank you. Mm-hmm. I had to think about coaching errors that each one made in pivotal moments. And the one that screams to me is that of Greg Popovich in game six of the 2013 NBA NBA finals, when he actually takes out Tim Duncan in the, in the remaining seconds in the fourth quarter, he takes Tim Duncan out and lo and behold, it was an offensive rebound by Chris Bosch in a throw into the corner to Ray Allen for a made three, which actually ties the game. Had Tim Duncan been in the game, we don't know if that offensive rebound would have happened by Chris Bosch. Mm-hmm. Now, there were you know instances, and I read here, instances where Popovich felt that we need a, they needed a little bit more speed uh, to switch out, to guard against the three, take Tim Duncan out, and you have more speed on the floor. But you didn't have any rebounding. I mean, if you were if you were relying upon Dial to rebound over Chris Bosch, who's basically seven foot. So this is a, this as I would have seen Chris Bosch on the floor. I'm putting some size out there to you know probably combat that a little bit. So I think that's a coaching error that Popovich made, which ultimately led to San Antonio losing that series mm-hmm. uh, for the championship, and ultimately that move. When you think about that move alone, that may have saved the legacy of LeBron James. The coaching error that I see with with Pat Riley is in the 1989 NBA Finals. This was before even game one. And the Lakers had won the Western Conference. They had some time before they started the NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. And there were some readings and some interviews seem to suggest that Pat Riley worked out the Lakers so hard in practice, broke them down. And when they went into the NBA finals, that's when you saw a lot of injuries start to happen. One injury yes. being that of Magic Johnson messing up his hamstring and he was out for the rest of the finals. And mm-hmm. that caused a four game sweep by the Detroit Pistons over the Los Angeles Lakers coaching air. So I'm going to have to still go, though, with my boy Pat Riley on this because Pat Riley during Showtime was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. The suits, the slick back hair, (laughs) him taking to a lot of of people to the promised land. Hey, look here. I'm going Pat Riley because not only did he he do it in – with LA, he did it in New York and he's done it with Miami and he's developed a culture in all three places and yep. they've all been successful to some degree. So I'm going with Pat Riley. Who you got, Danny? This one was tough for me, Jason. I'm not a San Antonio Spurs fan at all. You understand that being a Lakers fan. I And I was thinking about this. It's tough, man, because Pop has had a great career mm-hmm. and there were rumors with him going to Brooklyn mm-hmm. this past offseason, which would have been interesting to see how that would have worked. Kind of like we were talking about with Riley. He went to somewhere. He had a culture. He established a culture. When I think of Popovich, I think of Bill Belichick mm. from a football perspective. Mm-hmm. 
very vanilla, straight to the point. There's no flash, dash, nothing with pop. He's just mm -hmm. straight, straight to the point. And he got the most out of what he had on his team. Granted, he had Tim Duncan. So, and Tony Parker and Ginobili. And he had David Robinson, too, before David Robinson retired. So, he did have talent. Mm -hmm. And you look at the consistency. He's been in with San Antonio that whole time which is impressive and only two seasons under 500. And then you look at Pat Riley, which Magic Johnson is also my favorite player. Growing up and remembering those Sundays on CBS mm -hmm. when they were playing the Celtics, the <laughs> Lakers were playing the Celtics or the Lakers were playing the Sixers. Mm -hmm. And you just remember those days and, and what he got out of the talent he had. And I think of him and then I think of like Phil Jackson in a way too. Mm-hmm. You have the superstars, but you got to be able to take them and keep the egos in check mm -hmm. and then win. And like you said, he did it in a different, he did it at different times, different eras and different styles. And then he took that to be an executive and a success, successful executive. So all that being said, I think I'm going with Riley. It's very close. They're both very impressive. Mm -hmm. But I think too, like you mentioned, the key point was, he had a style in L.A. They're running gun. And then when he went to New York, it was tough and rough. And you go to the lane, you're getting clocked upside your head. Basketball <laughs> <laughs> with Oakley and Ewing and that group and Starks. And, and then go to, going to Miami and taking that team with Dwayne Wade, mm -hmm. bringing Shaq. And they brought Shaq in from L.A. Mm -hmm. and taking that team to the championship. But in a close race, I'm going with Pat Riley. That's something we agree on. Thank you for joining us at Backports Talk Podcast. You can also join us on Twitter by tweeting us at back underscore podcast. For more information, you can go to our website, which is backportstalkpodcast.com. You can also email us at backportstalkpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for joining us. And remember that there's enough hate in the world. So go ahead and spread a little love.